Although bank robbers and jewel thieves are often the subjects of cinema and literature, art thieves fly under most people's radars. Art heists can indeed prove very lucrative, assuming one can get away with it. It may be surprising at first, but the heist I'm about to talk about will show you that it might be easier to steal the Mona Lisa than rob a bank. This is Casual History. Number one, the police robbery. So the robbery occurred in the early hours on Sunday, March 18th of 1990. The thieves were first witnessed around 12.30 a.m. by several St. Patrick's Day revelers leaving a party near the museum. The two men were disguised as police officers and parched in a hatchback on Palace Road, about 100 feet from the side entrances. The museum guards on duty that night were Rick Abath, which is age 23, and Randy Heston, which is 25. Abath was a regular night watchman, and it was Heston's first time on the night shift. The security policy maintained that one guard patrolled the galleries with a flashlight and a walkie-talkie, and the other one sat at a security desk. Abath went on patrol first. During his patrol, fire alarms sounded off in different rooms in the museum, but he could not locate the fire or smoke. Abath returned to the security room, where the fire alarm control panel indicated that smoke was in multiple rooms. He assumed some sort of malfunction and shut down the panel. He went back on patrol, and before he completed his rounds, he made a quick stop at a side entrance of the museum, briefly opening up the door, and then he shut it again. He did not tell Heston why he was doing this. Abath completed his tour, returned to the security desk around 1 a.m., at which point Heston begins his rounds. At 1.20 a.m., the thieves drove up to the side entrance, parked, and walked up to the side door. They rang the buzzer, which connected them to Abath through an intercom. They explained to Abath that the police were investigating a disturbance, and needed to be buzzed in. Abath could see them on a closed-circuit television wearing what appeared to be real police uniforms. He was not aware of any disturbance, but theorized that it was St. Patrick's Day. Perhaps a reveler had climbed over the fence and someone had seen it and reported it. Abath let the men in at 1.24 a.m. The thieves were led into a locked foyer that separated the side door from the museum. They approached Abath and his desk and asked if anybody else was in the museum to bring them down. Abath radioed Heston and returned back to his security desk. Abath noticed around this time that the mustache on the taller man appeared fake. The shorter man told Abath he looked familiar and may have a warrant for his arrest and came out from behind the desk to provide identification. Abath complied, stepping away from the desk where the only panic button to alert the police was. The shorter man forced Abath against the wall, spread his legs, and handcuffed him. Heston then just walked into the room at this time and the taller thief turned to him and handcuffed him as well. Once both guards were handcuffed, the thieves revealed their true intentions to rob the museum and asked the guards not to give them any problems. The thieves wrapped duct tape around the heads and eyes of the guards. Without asking for directions, they led the guards to the basement where they were handcuffed to a steam pipe and workbench. The thieves actually examined the wallets of the guards and then explained to them that they knew where they lived, so they told them not to tell the authorities anything and they would get a reward in about a year. It took the thieves less than 15 minutes to subdue the guards and now it was about 1.35 a.m. The thieves' movements through the museum were recorded on infrared motion detectors. Steps in the first room that they entered, the Dutch room, was on the second floor and was not recorded until 1.48 a.m. This was 13 minutes after they finished subduing the guards, perhaps waiting to make sure no police were alerted. As the thieves approached the paintings in the Dutch room, a device began beeping that would normally trip when a patron was too close to the painting. 
the thieves smashed it. Then they took the storm of the Sea of Galilee, a lady and gentleman in black, and threw them into the marble floor which shattered their glass frames. Using a blade, they cut out the canvases of their stretchers. They also removed a large Rembrandt self-portrait oil painting from the wall and left it leaning against the cabinet. Investigators believe that they may have considered this too large to transport, potentially because it was painted on wood, not more durable canvases like the others. Instead, the thieves actually took small postage stamp-sized self-portrait etching of Rembrandt on display beneath the larger portrait. On the right side of the room, they removed landscape with obelisk and the concert from their frames. At 1.51 a.m., while the thief continued to work in the Dutch room, the other entered a narrow hallway dubbed the short gallery on the other end of the second floor. The other thief joined soon. The last stolen work was Shea Tortoni from the Blue Room on the first floor. The museum's motion detector did not detect any motion within the Blue Room during the thieves' time in the building. The only footsteps detected in the room that night were a baths during the two times he passed through the gallery on his patrol earlier. As they prepared to leave, the thieves checked one of the guards one last time and asked if they were comfortable. They then moved to the security director's office where they took the video cassettes that recorded their entrance on the closed circuit cameras. The robbery in total lasted 81 minutes. The next shift of guards arrived later in the morning and realized something was amiss when they could not establish contact with anyone to be let in. They called the security director who, upon entering the building with his keys, found nobody at the watch desk and called the police. The police searched the building until they found the guards still tied up in the basement. In the end, 13 works were stolen. In 1990, the FBI estimated the value of the hall at 200 million, and then raised this estimate to 500 million by 2000. In the late 2000s, some art dealers suggested that the hall could be worth over 600 million. It was considered the highest value museum robbery until it was surpassed later on in 2019. And frankly, the eclectic mix of items has puzzled experts. While some of the paintings were valuable, the thieves passed up other really valuable works on the same floor. The section of work and the brutish ways the thieves handled this artwork has led investigators to believe that the thieves were not experts commissioned to steal particular works. Even the FBI got involved as the matter was deemed a national concern. A long and arduous investigation followed in which the security guards were among the first suspects. Although the FBI later claimed to likely have found the actual culprits, they decided not to disclose their names and both had already died when the FBI figured out their identities. Okay, well, I'll have a couple more stories for you after this quick break. Story number two, Stolen Icon. Nowadays, the Mona Lisa needs no introduction. It's the most famous painting in the world, after all. Over six million people a year come to visit the Louvre in Paris to see it. Sunday, the 20th of August seemed to the staff at the Louvre just another day like any other. On Monday 21st, the museum was closed to the public, as it was every Monday, while the general maintenance and cleaning was carried out. Nobody noticed the man in the same white smock as every other staff member who took down the Mona Lisa off the wall. Paintings were taken down for cleanings and photographs all the time, after all. Nobody suspected that he was actually an imposter who had hidden in the cupboard the night before at closing time and came out when everybody else arrived in the morning. In fact, when he found one door locked on his way out and took off the doorknob to try to unlock it, a passing workman not only believed his story about finding the broken door, but put it back together and unlocked it for him. By the time he reached the streets, the Mona Lisa was wrapped in his smock, just a man with an anonymous white parcel who vanished into the crowd. It wasn't until the morning of the 22nd of August that anybody noticed anything amiss. A painter who had been visiting the Louvre to paint in the main exhibit hall noticed the Mona Lisa was missing and asked a guard when it would be brought back. 
The guard went to find out only for his questions to offset a male storm of confusion and soon spiraled into panic. Soon the news burst out of the museum and onto the streets of Paris. The Mona Lisa was gone. The disappearance of the Mona Lisa shocked Paris. For a long time, a byword for impossibility in the city had been like stealing the Mona Lisa from the Louvre. Now the impossible had happened. The police managed to trace the thief through a museum and out onto the street, but there the trail ran cold. The papers went wild, and since it was effectively no news beyond the police are still searching, all there was was to print rumor and speculation. The painting had been stolen by anarchists. No, by crypto-monarchists. The painting had been destroyed. The painting was still in the Louvre. The public was such at a fever pitch of excitement that two German artists were attacked by a mob then arrested simply for being foreign and carrying canvases. Soon the disappearance was worldwide news, even if some papers weren't sure that the Mona Lisa looked like. It wasn't until two years later that the Mona Lisa actually reappeared, back where it had been first created, Florence, Italy. In November of 1913, an anonymous offer was made to an art dealer in Florence to sell him the Mona Lisa. Together, they made an offer to the thief to buy the painting, inspect it, and verified it was genuine. Then they tricked the thief into letting them take it away before they called the police. The thief turned out to be an Italian carpenter named Vincenzo Perugia, who had worked in the Louvre some time before the theft. Vincenzo had actually been one of the suspects that the police interviewed and exonerated, and they even searched his apartment while the Mona Lisa was hidden in it and didn't find it. Vincenzo claimed that he had been motivated by patriotism and was upset that the great Italian masterpiece was being held in France that slightly undercut by the fact that it was Leonardo who brought the painting to France and that Vincenzo had tried to sell it in London before he went to Florence. But the story became popular enough it turned him to a celebrity in Italy and endured that he wound up only spending seven months in jail and wasn't extradited to France. Even then, years later, it was rumored that the Mona Lisa that had been recovered was a forgery and that the real Mona Lisa was still in the wind. In truth, it may not really matter if the Mona Lisa in the Louvre is real or not. A fair proportion of 6 million tourists who come in to see it every year aren't really coming to see a painting. They're there for the legend or for the idea of the world's most famous painting. I guess we'll never know. Story 3. Double Trouble Edvard Munch made multiple renditions of The Scream, his most famous work. It proved to be fortuitous as two separate iterations fell victim to art thieves. On February 12, 1994, it was the opening day of the Winter Olympics in Norway. Unbeknownst to the crowds that were attending, Something much more monumental had already unfolded that morning, a couple hours' drive to the south, in the nation's capital of Oslo. Two men had stolen the infamous painting The Scream from the National Gallery. For part of the Olympic festivities, the 1893 portrait of a panic attack has been moved from where it was usually hung down to a gallery on the second floor. The thieves had scaled the ladder, fell, then climbed back up before breaking the window and swiftly retrieving the painting. They left a note before they made their departure which read, Thanks for the poor security. After a $1 million ransom, the painting was recovered three months later. Four men were convicted of the heist in 1996, two years after the crime. The second incident occurred in 2004 when two mass robbers robbed the Munich Museum in Oslo in broad daylight. The robbers were armed and held guards at gunpoint. They swiftly tore the Scream and the Madonna before making their getaway in a black station wagon. Although a rather daring heist, it was not particularly fruitful one. The paintings were recovered by 2006 the thieves were caught and convicted within the same year. All right, well, that's it for this week's casual history. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. See you next week.